0: high is right in my pocket I would live in the life, Things were just the way they should be When from out of the sky like a bomb Comes some little punk in a rocket Now all of a sudden Some strange things are happening to me
1: Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show for our second hour. Joining us at Darsh Meshroom, Mike Johnson, our host Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group.
2: So any of you who have kids or grandkids in their, say, 20s, maybe even 30s, uh, might, have, might remember a movie called Toy Story that probably came out. I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe? No, the, it was
1: more like 22. 20,
2: okay. Yeah, quite a while ago. And uh, so it's a great movie. It's Anybody can watch it. I go back and watch it myself. Um, and what really makes that movie is Tom Hanks in the role of Woody and Randy Newman, the 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 music it's just really good and i think that movie just kind of gets better with time so ah, that's my little unless they try to do a toy story three we don't need to go there all right so what we're gonna do is uh you know it's thanksgiving week Uh, everybody's we 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 you know we couldn't get anybody to come in uh Actually, no, this isn't Thanksgiving week. <sighs> so, yeah, we actually are having somebody come in next week. I- I'm confused. All right, it's pre-Thanksgiving week. Let's put it that way. Um, Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> so, The bottom line is we couldn't get anybody <laughs> to come in for the third hour uh, this week. So we're going to do two hours, hours—a sort of a deep dive into – the companies, uh, some of the companies that we're invested in, four of them to be exact. And I think it'll be interesting because I believe that we have been and are going to be right about some of these things that we like here in this particular economic um, scenario that we're in with the interest rates having gone way up your inflation numbers have been up, but they begun to come down. And I, I really think that, uh, it's worth talking about our process because when you're dealing with financial advisors, uh, some of them are just kind of generic, but our uh, thing that we've always, um, hung our hat on has been individual company research and, and and we go deeply into the companies in which we're invested. We know their stories. We know the business that they're in. We know the economics of that business. And we know uh, really about the management of, of the businesses and it, it gives it some personality. So, The first company we're going to talk about, so we're going to do two hours of this, and we're basically going to do one company per 22-minute segments because our show, one hour of our show is divided into two 22-minute segments. So the first company is is a company called Kinder Morgan. That's got the uh, stock symbol of KMI. Now, Kinder Morgan is a is a energy pipeline. They uh, transport natural gas. They transport some uh, refined product. Uh, they're based in Houston, Texas. They we we actually own two companies in our portfolio, Kinder Morgan and EOG, which were spun out of Enron, which went under in uh, 1999 Um, and these companies have gone on to do extremely well with the properties from Enron. Kinder Morgan took over the, what we call in, in, in the energy business, the midstream properties of Enron, the pipelines and uh, Rich Kinder and another fellow named Morgan put this together and uh, it's, it's done quite well. And so I'm going to let uh, Mike and Adarsh kind of talk about it a little bit because we've done a good bit of research on Kinder Morgan. So one or the other.
3: So uh, Kinder Morgan, as you said, you know, is uh, what you would call a midstream uh, energy company. So when you talk about the energy, uh, I guess, complex, there are different stages, um, you know, uh, from right from the extraction of uh, oil or natural gas to transportation of that oil or natural gas uh, and finished products also and uh, finally the distribution and uh, uh, you know basically uh, well before the distribution there is the the distillation and then finally the distribution and the sales and the marketing
2: so they also call that refining refining yep. yes <clears throat>
3: Um, so Kinder Morgan is one of the largest uh, midstream companies they either own or have an interest in 83,000 miles of pipeline one of the largest in North America and uh, they basically uh, they're not involved with the extraction or the refining of the product they basically transport the product uh, either from you know uh, the exploration company uh, to the uh, refining company or finished products from the refining company to you know where it goes to uh, get distributed and marketed through uh, uh, to the end user basically so um, they are not really uh, w- what that means is that they're not really uh, vulnerable to price movements, whether it be oil or natural gas, uh, because they are more of a transportation company. They are more like a utility where um, their contracts tend to be fixed. Uh, There are regulators that, you know, have a say on what the price of these contracts will be, but their contracts tend to be fixed. Uh, They uh, uh, are basically, you know, in the business of transporting the, the product.
4: Well, one of the, I guess, I mean, the, the major, one of the major things that, that's attractive is the dividend yield uh, and, and just the consistency of the dividend. Um, but on the corporate structure side, so Kinder used to be structured as a, an MLP, a master limited partnership, and they changed the corporate structure several years back, uh, restructured as a, a C corp. And so, what that means uh, from the investor standpoint, uh, with an MLP, you have a K one, which can be kind of a pain when you're filing taxes. Um, With now, it's not an MLP. There's no K one. That's great. Um, But then, from an operating standpoint, an MLP, it's similar to a, a REIT, a real estate investment trust. So it's it's hard for an MLP to retain earnings uh, so they always have to have access to capital be it issuing shares debt uh, whatever it may be Um, but now as a c-corp they can operate they can grow organically they can retain cash Um, and so it's it's been good for the company it's been good for shareholders Um, and so that was that was encouraging when we saw that happen because they used
2: to have so explain why they went (coughs) from being an mlp as you just said to a C Corp. That's, that's information that people need a little color on.
4: Yeah, I mean, the. I think the, the big thing was for operational reasons uh, in, in terms of funding growth of the company. Uh, it's more conservative, if you will. Uh, they don't have to always have access to capital, um, right. that they can grow organically. Okay, uh, but, now
2: why is that important? Because that's actually a really good point. Now, they're thinking more like a company right. than just a pass-through. Exactly. You know, now you're you're actually considering uh, your it's, – it's, 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 it's like you're not just out there sort of putting pipeline out there and issuing shares to match it. You're actually looking at it all as part of a, a corporate structure that, that makes sense. And we really liked the fact that they made – uh, that change, what six seven years ago. Yeah,
4: it was about that.
2: Yeah, no, it, it was
4: it it was encouraging. Uh, it was it was, I think, forward looking, uh, and like you said, it, it, they are acting. It, they're viewing it more like a company rather than a pass through because a REIT or an MLP, there are quote unquote tax benefits of being structured that way on paper (laughs) and and in reality, maybe not.
2: It's really, you know, the, you're an LP, you're a limited partner and the GP is where the action is. And with this, you're, you own the same shares as the, as management owns. That's right.
4: And actually, uh, to, to that point, about 13%, uh, the shares are owned by management of Kinder Morgan.
2: Well, Rich Kinder is a huge...
4: Yeah. Holder of it personally. Yeah.
2: So it, it's
4: like, like Adar said, um, it's kind of like an electric utility. It's the transportation of natural gas and primarily natural gas. Uh, and that's a very consistent business. And when they're, when a company's deciding on the dividend, Companies that pay consistent dividends, they have consistent earnings. And this is a consistent earning business. And so the dividends tend to be very consistent.
3: Uh, another thing that I was going to add is um, that, y- you know, the the transportation business can be uh, somewhat cyclical. You know, if economic activity declines, then maybe they don't transport uh, as much natural gas or as much crude oil. Uh, but one of the big tailwinds that a company like Kinder could see is have is that there is a growing uh, demand for uh, uh, lng which is liquid uh, natural gas uh, overseas you know we know after this conflict between ukraine and russia um europe has been heavily reliant on uh, russian natural gas uh, that is transported through pipelines uh Did they work through their surplus? Are they working through? They had a huge surplus of
2: natural gas in Europe just
3: recently. Yes, they still have a surplus. And that can go away very quickly if you have a really cold winter. Uh, But this is more of a... It was weather related, right? It it was, yes. But this demand for uh, liquid natural gas, liquefied natural gas is going to be long-term in nature where not just this year and not just while the... You know, conflict is still going on, but even uh, for years to come, uh, Europe is going to start purchasing more and more liquid natural gas from the U.S. Since there are no pipelines between the U.S. and Europe and other countries, uh, one of the ways to transport uh, natural gas is by liquefying it, uh, putting it on, uh, uh, you know, ships, and then shipping it uh, to Europe and Asia and uh, whoever demands it. So um, there is a lot of infrastructure that's being built uh, in the U.S. to transport liquid natural gas, and Kinder Morgan uh, could potentially see uh, increased demand from overseas. You know, so far they've primarily been a domestic-focused company, but this could help them, uh, you know, uh, uh, transport more of their uh, products overseas and perhaps even. Uh, shelter them from some of the weakness in the domestic market uh,
4: interesting side note too on how the stock trades <coughs> we said it the the business itself doesn't have much in the way of commodity exposure commodity price exposure uh, actually from an operating standpoint but the stock because it's it's grouped in with energy quote-unquote energy companies, it, this can be both. It's something you have to watch. It can provide opportunities to get in and get out. Um, sometimes it could trade at a premium to what it's producing. You know, the, its core business because the the stock market may view it as a as an oil company uh, rather than a transportation business, view it as an oil company. And if price of oil goes up, stock price can go up, price of oil goes down, stock price can go down. So it can trade in conjunction with oil companies. Think of, you know, Exxon, Chevron, BP, Shell, those types. It it moves with those, but that's just the stock price. That's not actually their operations. And so you, you can find opportunities, to get in and or get out when things like that happen but it's it's important to really understand what they do and have a fair value of it in mind
2: you know you're not going to get rich on this stock but you it's got a nice dividend it's basically a utility Uh, the usage of natural gas will definitely increase over time they get a small fee for everything that comes through their pipeline. And we own this really as a bond substitute because the dividend has been increasing over time. And therefore, um, unlike a bond, uh, they've actually increased their payout. Plus, the shares have been going up lately. So, you know, it, but it's a, it, it, it You have to consider it a more conservative-type investment. I think it's interesting because I know some folks in Houston uh, whose office is in the building that Rich Kinder, the guy who founded this company, owns. He doesn't work at Kinder Morgan anymore. He's got his own foundation. I think he's basically retired. He owns shares in the company, but he has an office that's elsewhere. He's a very, uh, down to earth guy. You know, I like to study all kinds of things about people that are involved in companies that I, uh, am, am invested in. And, uh, I mean, the guy drives a, like a 12 year old, uh, Toyota land cruiser. He's, <laughs> you know, he's worth eight or $9 billion. Um, he's not the richest guy in Houston anymore. He was, but there's a, there's a new guy. I can't think of his name, um, who's worth more than that. But once again, for a while, it was not the case. But now the the wealthiest guys in Houston, again, are uh, energy guys, like the top three. And then there's a guy named uh, Tillman Fortita who's a restaurant guy. He owns Landry's, and, you know, he's got some casinos and places. But the big guys are the energy guys, which is kind of interesting.
3: Yeah. Was T. Boone Pickens ever the richest guy in Houston? Well, he didn't live there. He lived
2: in, uh, well, he was from, originally from uh, uh, Oklahoma City. Then he moved to Amarillo where he started Mesa Petroleum and uh, became famous back in the early 80s for uh, taking over Gulf Oil made a tender offer of like $3 billion, which back then was just massive. Then uh, he moved to Dallas and started uh, basically a hedge fund that he invested in energy companies and made a huge amount of money, way more than he'd ever made previously. Now, we had the opportunity to have T. Boone Pickens As a guest on the show, uh, it's been a number of years ago, Mm -hmm. 12, 13, maybe something like that. When, when he, when he was still alive. Uh, but I'll tell you a funny story. Um, one time I used to go to this place called the, uh, Texas club. And uh, it was a sports club kind of up on top of the TCB Texas commerce bank parking lot. Uh, like 20 it was like the 23rd floor that's how i mean can you imagine (laughs) you're driving up to find a parking space you have to go to the 23rd floor (laughs) that's not what i want to do but anyway so it was up there real high so uh i heard this voice this twang ah, 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 the guy and uh i come around the corner and there's t boone pickens sitting in front of his locker he had been up there playing handball and he's lecturing these guys about the energy business in the locker room of the sports club up there and he sounded like some guy that probably worked on an oil rig in oklahoma i mean he just was a very country sounding guy i mean and you know they're all just sitting there listening to him. He's telling them stories, story, putting his tie on, you know, getting ready to go to a meeting. He'd just been playing handball. And he's, uh, well, boys, you know, an interesting guy. And, of course, we had him on the radio show. And, and the main thing I asked him about initially was playing basketball at Oklahoma State, which he did for Henry Iba. But it's – It's a fascinating business, the energy business.
1: All right, boys, I'm going to jump right in here and do a quick disclaimer. Nothing on the show is a recommendation to buy or sell securities while stocks in the stock market will be discussed on this program. Check with your financial advisor or professional before investing, and we are going to go out with a little more of the toy story. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with the Darsh Mushroom, Mike Johnson, and our host, Tom Dupree. If you'd like for us to take a look at your portfolio and learn more about how we find the companies that we invest in, give us a call, 859-233-0400. We will be back in just a few minutes highlighting another company. Stay tuned.
2: Hi, I'm Tom Dupree. In my 44 years in the investment business, I have found that the best time to invest in any type of security is when that security is in a bear market, similar to the times we are in now. If you've been thinking of investing, don't wait for the market to make a bottom consider beginning to average into your investment, knowing that while you may not be hitting the bottom, you will be getting an average price over time, which will probably be considerably lower than prices after the bear market is over. I have seen it work many times. Call us at 859-233-0400 for a no obligation review of your investment accounts. And be sure to listen to the Tom Depree Show Saturdays at 7 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com.
1: Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us, Adarsh Meshru. Mike Johnson, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group.
2: That's Tim O'Brien, who is one of my favorite bluegrass musicians. And he, this is a song called Jerusalem Ridge, and it just, just showcases some of his live mandolin picking. And at one point, the band kicks in behind him but evidently not quick enough to get us out. But I, I, I just like, I've listened to him for years, always have liked him, and that's him on the mandolin, and that song's called, it's a live performance, him playing Jerusalem Ridge. All right, the next the uh, next uh, company we're going to get into is, is a company called Blackstone. This is not to be confused with another company called BlackRock. Two totally different companies, totally different approaches. They're both in the investment business. They're both asset managers, but they're different companies altogether. This is Blackstone, BX, founded by uh, Pete Peterson and uh, Steve Schwarzman, years ago they had been in the brokerage business they all they really had was a rolodex and they wanted to you know do deals today it's worth 125 billion dollars um and it's it's a work of genius really this company uh it's it's focused on the uh the talent the ability to do deals the ability to choose asset classes, the ability to choose different platforms to deliver investment results to uh, investors, wherever they, whether they be uh, pension funds, large um, pension and endowment funds, or individuals, some of whom can invest directly uh, through various funds that they have. Or you can buy the stock of the company which we do, uh, symbol is BX. Now, uh, when I started in the investment business in 1978, there were no publicly traded asset management companies. They didn't exist. There simply weren't any. Today there are a number of them because the amount of assets, investment assets under management management, between now and 1978, when I started, has increased just exponentially, dramatically, geometrically, in a big way, a lot. <laughs> and uh, so what the street began to realize was uh, this was a business. Nobody would have ever dreamed of, of investing in a brokerage firm, or an asset management firm uh, in 1978. And the reason was because the earnings were considered to be too volatile, difficult to come by, and, uh, you know, far too dependent upon personalities. If you had this guy working for your firm who was a good deal guy and something happened to him, he left and went somewhere else it could cost you your whole firm. So it was all based around the talent, that kind of thing, and it was very hard to securitize that or put it into the context of a publicly traded company. Now, banks you could buy, but uh, asset managers were not publicly traded. And then you began to see some of the old uh, partnerships in the street uh, begin to... uh, realized that uh, the senior partners had a lot of money invested in the partnership and they had to have a way to deal with their, um, uh, estates. So they began to take some of these companies public. Uh, Solomon brothers was a public company. Um, some of the early ones I'm trying to remember, uh, Goldman Sachs, I think went public fairly, fairly early. Um, but I, I think they held out for a, a while longer than, than some of the other ones. And then, um, you know, then you, you had in 06, 07, prior to the financial crisis, some of these uh, publicly traded asset management companies, the stocks got went through the roof because the earnings were crazy high because of mortgage uh, securitizations, which ended up costing them their, their firms. Blackstone, of course, did not get nutty like this. They were highly d- disciplined in their use of capital. I don't even remember if they
3: were public in 08-09. They went public in uh, 08, uh, okay. right before the financial crisis. Yeah,
2: so it was a terrible time to go public, and they went public as a as a limited partnership. So, you know, your stock... I didn't think it was that good of a deal because, um, you know, the, the, the real people that really owned the company were the insiders and the, the people that worked there that were the big producers, you know, now it's, it's a C corp and it's much bigger and it has more of a, a pervasive culture. It's not so much focused on a few high earners that are, um, know big producers for the company it's more kind of the the company itself is the is the platform and the way they do things of course you'll always have to have talented people but i've been thoroughly impressed with how they do their deals uh we've owned the stock for some time we we've done quite well and the price can be really volatile i mean it it went up to 107 recently it's pulled all the way back to 91 Um, you know, and, and, and so it can bounce
3: around, but over time they've delivered earnings and delivered results. So yeah, Blackstone, uh, you know, is what you would call, uh, an alternative asset manager, which means that, uh, they manage things which, you know, most people can't buy on the stock market or on the bond market. Uh, so this includes, uh, private equity uh hedge fund uh real estate and then they also have a credit division where they you know invest in credits public and private uh they manage close to uh almost a trillion dollars i think it's 950 billion yeah. um so it's it's extremely large uh they get compensated uh Based on the amount of assets that they manage, plus their performance on those assets. So typically, when you know you get into a private equity deal, the private equity manager gets paid uh, a management fee, plus if the fund returns above a hurdle rate, which is you know pre decided, then the manager gets an incentive fee. So Black uh, Blackstone. Uh, operates basically on on that model. They um, uh, have a long history of paying dividends. Their dividend tends to be variable because their management fees tend to be stable, but their incentive fees, you know vary. So if you're in a market where a lot of companies are going public, then you know Blackstone funds may have the opportunity to take some of their companies public. And then there could be times when you know there just aren't that many deals happening, or as many companies uh, going public, or there's you know a shortage of capital. Um,
2: so it's kind of like they plant, and then they reap the harvest, and and they will you know hope to make two, three, four times their money on deals that they bring in. Basically, right? Yeah, and and they they hope to sell. The, the companies to someone else, but they also have asset management sides that are, that function more like a conventional asset manager also don't leave like their credit.
3: Yeah. Their credit business, uh, they, it does operate like a conventional asset manager. They also have some, you know, other fun type, uh, instruments uh, on the real estate side. Uh, like, for example, one of their real estate uh, companies, Blackstone Mortgage Trust, trades publicly. Um, uh, that, uh, BXMT? BXMT.
2: Yeah, now that's set up as a limited partnership, isn't it? It, it is,
3: yes. Yeah. Uh, Pays a nice yield. Yes. But yeah. Blackstone is the ultimate, I guess, manager. Right. Um, and uh, they, um, you know, they're very uh, opportunistic about how right. they invest, you know. So they uh, they have these deals. These deals have a long-term, you know, time horizon. Uh, they And they invest the capital as, you know, uh, their investors commit to investing capital over a number of years. And Blackstone, you know, is opportunistic when it comes to um, getting into these deals. Uh, most of their investments, I would say, Really, majority of their investments are not held on their own balance sheet. They're held inside the funds that they own and manage. Um, So they are primarily in the business of managing uh, these investments, these assets, and collecting a fee which they pass on to shareholders.
4: I like looking at the examples of things they've done in the past, like invitation homes, which was one that was back during the financial crisis. Right. Um, they, how did that
2: come about?
4: So during the financial crisis, obviously, you know, homes were selling residential homes were selling for pennies on the dollar. Um, and because of their scale, the reach, they were able to buy. I think at the time it was about forty thousand residential homes, and they packaged it together as a REIT, publicly traded REIT. Um, and it was actually it was Are they renting
2: it, them out, or were they? They were renting. renting. Uh,
4: yeah, uh, rentals. And it was it was unique because it was one of the first uh, rental companies like that that were that was publicly right. traded. It was it was unique. Um, so they they maintained an ownership of the of invitation homes, and then they ended up selling it off uh, f- over the course of several years. So they don't own it anymore, but it's it's that's one of thousands of types of examples of things that they've done. They'll do public private uh, deals. Um, I remember this one uh, one uh, deal they were working on. It was someplace like Zimbabwe or something, and it was a, a dam that they yeah. were building. And uh, there was a local shaman that they were having to deal with, and they were having to. I mean, it was just, it was just this weird, almost you, you couldn't make this kind of stuff up. Uh, but just these, so they they built a dam, or they it invest, was some kind of a a, a deal. It was invest, a public private... invested in a dam. Yeah, yeah, dam. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I had to do that. So it, it's just these because of their scale, their scope, you know, information. They get information quickly, uh, and they can move quickly, uh, and they have the talent in place to be able to capitalize on things.
2: And their management is just, you know, the best to me anywhere. Yeah, Schwartzman is just a brilliant guy, uh, and he's he's he really seems like he really cares about the business. He's he's one of these people on Wall Street that. You know, there's just not that many of them these days but he's one of these guys that reminds me of someone from you know 30, 40 50 years ago uh, because he, he grew up in that culture and he was around those kind of people he, mainly he was around Pete Peterson who was just a fine gentleman on Wall Street wonderful person gave away so much money um, and they they're just they're just good people uh, at the top. And you know uh, Schwartzman won't be there forever. Uh, He'll he'll retire at some point. But you know, I just think they've done a remarkably good job.
4: Yeah, and it's they've created something that's bigger than them. And like I mean, Schwartzman. I mean, look at even uh, Berkshire. It's sort of the same thing. Or KKR. Um, They've created these institutions. Where the talent goes, and the institution is bigger than the creator. Sure, it, it's just
2: well, that's what anybody it, wants to do, right?
4: And it's it's phenomenal when you see when you see things like that play out, and it's just um, Schwartzman, incredible leader. Um, but it's taken that to assemble the team, to attract the talent, and uh, he's 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 done an exceptional
2: job, right. One of the things that uh, that I have uh, liked about them has been uh, their ability to p- kind of insert themselves into varieties of businesses in varieties of ways. They are incredibly flexible in how they address uh, a financing problem or uh, an opportunity. You know, they can, they can go lots of different ways. And I heard Jamie uh, Dimon speak, who's uh, head of J.P. Morgan Chase, one time at a grants conference. And he kind of made a snide remark about Blackstone, which actually made me happy to hear him say that. Because you could tell that the way he running a bank was so hamstrung by regulations mm-hmm. that he was not able to hire some of the best and brightest people. They were going to places like Blackstone. And then you know Goldman Sachs has gotten bigger and much more cumbersome and that kind of thing. So they weren't necessarily going there either they were going to a place like Blackstone. Well, I'll tell you another reason is that Goldman Sachs is run more like a bank and less like a really activist brokerage firm anymore. And if you, all you got to do is look at their leadership. So they have scale in a way that, uh, other people in wall street don't, but they, they are small enough. They're not near as big as JP Morgan chase or even Goldman. Uh, they're Goldman's, Probably two hundred billion plus in market cap, I would think. Uh, Somebody could look it up, Um, but anyway, um, they're you know they they're they're nimble and they can do deals that, but they have a big enough balance sheet. The other thing they took over one hundred twenty eight billion, so it's the same size as Blackstone. But I tell you another thing: Blackstone took over. To some degree, they took over the niche that was left by, uh, GE capital when during the financial crisis, um, you know, GE kind of imploded, uh, and the, the part that caused it was the, um, was GE capital because they were so invested in so many things and they basically had to pull back from a lot of things they were doing, And Blackstone stepped in 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 certain areas.
3: Yeah, and I think, uh, yeah, real estate was definitely one of the biggest areas uh, because GE Capital did own a lot of real estate, which uh, Blackstone bought. And I think some of it was bought as recently as uh, maybe six, seven years ago. I remember as they were unwinding, I remember reading that Blackstone was participating in buying some of that real estate estate. and they still own a lot of it, probably. They, they still do, yes.
2: They had to have gotten a heck of a deal on a lot of it. So, you know, you have to be opportunistic. If you don't find opportunities, you'll be somebody else's opportunity. <laughs> I heard a guy say that once, and it's true. Um, you know, and you have to think in those terms, but you don't want to be. Um, perceived necessarily as a predator you know which of course you are but you want to have uh, a, a bit of a you know where people regard you more highly than that right right
1: All right, guys, I'm going to close this one out with our disclaimer. Once again, nothing on this show is a recommendation to buy or sell securities. While stocks in the stock market will be discussed on this program, check with your financial advisor or professional before investing. And here's more of Tom's fiddling. Maybe we'll get to the band jumping in before we get out of here. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Adarsh Moshrou, Mike Johnson, and our host, Tom Dupree. There's much more to managing your portfolio than just picking companies. Let us take a look at your portfolio and give you a personal recommendation. Call us at 859-233-0400. We'll be back in the next half of the hour or the next hour. Stay tuned for the next hour. We'll have two more companies we'll be highlighting. Stay tuned.